Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Please now turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. Uh, we're coming to the last message this morning on our series called Gritty Love. And today it's about confident prayer. John is going to end this entire book with the verse, dear children, keep yourself from idols. And he calls us appropriately for Mother's Day, uh, dear children. And you're gonna feel the mother's heart of John as he's writing, which is really the heart of God uh, in, in how he wants us to talk to God. And uh, it, it follows well on the heels of our message last week of being conquerors. Remember the word Niki? You'll never forget. Anybody wearing your Nikis today? <laughs> that we are conquerors, and, and the wreath has been put by God on, on your head to be victorious. And we move now with that in mind to the subject of prayer. So as we move into prayer, let's pray and ask God to help us as we study his word. Father, thank you this day that we get to study your holy word. We thank you that it speaks to us and we thank you that you don't simply orbit us, but we are learning to tether our souls to you. And so God, speak to us, guide us, and cause your word to come alive in Jesus' name, amen. So what if you and I could be confident in our prayer? I was once a part of a prayer meeting where we were praying for someone's healing. We were actually, it was the coach of our college and he uh, had cancer and was serious and we loved the coach and, and we were praying. And I remember one of the professors praying in the meeting and it went something like this, dear God, uh, we often don't know who you are and we often don't know what you want and we often don't know where you are, but um, this is the need here, and if this was your will, uh, we would want you to do something, but if it's not your will, we understand. And I just thought, wow, do I not want to be a part of this prayer meeting? John wants us to come boldly in prayer, and it has nothing to do with our lack of respect. We respect God, right? But when we're talking to someone we respect, we also respect their privilege to say no, to say yes or to say not yet. That's their job, it's not me. And so he's teaching us to come confidently in our prayer to him based on our relationship through Jesus and based on the position that we have now through Jesus. So listen to his words. John 5, 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. 
Now, I can hear all the voices uh, that coming back to me saying, but it does say according to his will, or but that was in the early church when miracles were happening and people were confident, but this is in the 21st century where we know more and we're not sure what God wants. And if we could just hold back our voices for a minute and, and listen to what John is primarily saying, it's a message of confidence. Confidence is important in 1 John. Three other times he's used this term. In some related terms, he uses as well. To know, he uses that 33 times. To believe, he uses that 17 times, seven times rather. And it's apparent that these false teachers that John is counteracting have come in and undermined the confidence of the readers. And you can imagine, moms, if you came home and you found out that the babysitter, while you were gone, whether you were gone for two hours or four hours, had undermined the confidence of your children. And they came up to you after the babysitter was gone and said, Mom, do you really love us? Mom, am I really your child? Mom, do you think we could celebrate my birthday this year? You would just think, what went on that you would have lost your confidence as my child? I want you to be confident in your relationship with me and your position with me that you're very, very special. And that's what John is trying to rebuild here. Confidence is the word parousia, which means to speak boldly or to speak freely. And that's what John is inviting us to do, to be bold and to be free before God. God, as I said, has big shoulders. And oftentimes we're worried about what God has in mind, but God is worried about our lack of coming to him and our lack of asking. In bowling... The analogy, this is the parable of bowling. <laughs> in bowling, there's these two lanes which we refer to as gutters. Gutter ball, by the way, I haven't bowled in maybe 30 years, but uh, I remember that. I think they need to invent some new kind of bowling, like contact bowling or something, <laughs> you know, to, to kind of dice it up a bit. But nevertheless, you can imagine if, if I'm bowling and, and I'm looking at the lane, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's the left gutter, and there's the right gutter. Oh my gosh, what if I hit the left gutter? What if I hit the right gutter? I don't know. I'm so nervous. I'm so afraid that I'm going to be, you know, the rest of us would say, would you just bowl the ball? You just need to let it, how's my style? You, you, you need to let it go. In the same way, we need to be that way before God. I remember as a child coming to our parents, my dad right over here, um, and we would say things like my brother and I and my sister, we'd say, uh, I know you'll probably say no. <laughs> now, what kind of prelude is that? And how manipulative is that? 
I know you're a very dark-hearted person, <laughs> and you really don't love us, but if you did love us, you might let us do something, and then we go ahead and say, would it be okay if we go out and, and pillage villages for the next three nights and not come home? John just says, come to God boldly, speak freely with confidence about what you ask, about what you want. And this isn't the only verse. Ephesians 3.12 says something similar. Through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, both using this same very word. So you and I, even though we came from the world of shame, the fallen world, from Genesis chapter three, where we're hiding from God and God, we're thinking God shouldn't see us because of our nakedness and all the things that are wrong with us. Now, because of Jesus Christ in the cross, we now come boldly and ask for what he's called us to ask for. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 16, this is right before he goes to the cross, he says, up until this point you have not asked anything of God in my name. Now heretofore you are to ask anything in my name, meaning in my nature and in who I am, you're to ask. And so he's pleading with us just as John is here. This is, let me go back to verse 14 and read it again. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So that's how we're to approach God. Jumping back now to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. So this is the approach that God is asking of you and me. Now, for the qualifier. Anything according to his will. Some of you have been looking at that one. Those, that short little clause. That's, yeah, but who can know the will of God? Who knows what God's will is? Aren't his ways higher than my ways, like the heavens are higher than the earth, as Isaiah 55 says? Actually, we know a lot about God's will. That's what this little book is all about, the Bible. We're studying it to find out his will. And one thing we know is he wants you to pray. Another thing we know is he wants you and I to pray with confidence. It is the will of God. There are a lot of things we don't know. For example, if you're praying for work, I would love for you to get a job here in North Coastal County. That would be awesome. I don't know that. That's beyond my scope. It's beyond my pay grade. I would love, if you're looking for a house or a townhouse or an apartment, whatever it is, I would love for it to be here in North Coastal County. I don't know that. So I can pray with confidence that God would give you work. I can pray with confidence that God will give you a nest. I can't guarantee that it's here. But listen, 
I can ask for it. I've discovered there's this kind of blurred area. It's the brackish water that uh, he seems to indicate that he likes to give us the desires of our hearts. He knows best. He knows what all the intricacies are of how things play out exponentially over the years in the interconnectedness of our lives. So this is important to him. I don't, but I do know that he's a loving, caring God. And so I can pray that he would give you a home and I can ask and God, can it be right here? Now, I can keep pressing and say, and could it be like a $12 million house on the bluff overlooking La Jolla? Or maybe that's cheap now. Maybe it's $25 million now or $45 million. I don't, who knows? And it, eventually, I get a no. God, I need transportation. Let it be a Maserati. At some point, I may get a no, but here's what I want to communicate to you. Let God speak for himself. Why are we putting the no in him, in letting him, our speech be his speech? It's kind of like saying, I know you probably say no, because you don't like to give me the desires of my heart. Usually, we understand when we're bordering greed. Usually we understand when we're bordering lust, uh, selfishness. We usually understand that. But come, quit worrying about the gutters. Pray and ask God to see what he might want to do in your life. This is my definition of prayer. Prayer is talking to, listening to, and interceding in love to God. The Father by faith, that is confidence in Jesus. Confidence in who he is, what he's done, the cross and resurrection, and his will. We now have relationship and position with God through Jesus. So come. Why not? Folks, what do you and I think heaven is? Have you thought much about heaven? Every time I'm at a funeral, I think about heaven. In my line of work, I think about it a lot. I don't think it's a bad thing to extrapolate and think, where do we all end up, and then work backwards. And so, therefore, how do I want to live? And I've decided that heaven is the God place. There's another place that's the not God place, right? Heaven is the God place. It's the place you spend with God. It's the with God place. Yeah, it's beautiful, it's glorious, it's divine. I don't know, maybe we slide down giraffe necks. That would be cool. I don't know, maybe we wrestle African lions and they don't hurt us. That would be cool. I don't know about all the fun stuff, the extracurricular activities Maybe we go fishing, but it's heaven. I don't know if fish can die in heaven. So, uh, you know, maybe it's we catch and toss back, whatever we do. But one thing I know, it's the with God place. 
And this life is a period of time that he's allowing us. It's the honeymoon. It's actually the engagement by which we are becoming familiar with the person we will spend eternity with. We're discovering what he likes. We pray according to what he likes. We're discovering his passion, his love for people. We're praying for that. And so it's a great invitation. Now, here's two things to think about prayer. We're going to move on in this passage. One is regular and one is irregular. The regular prayer that I think all of us are called to, and if we would pray regular prayer, we could change the world. Just this room. I'm telling you. Christians in America largely don't pray. All surveys show that, that Christians uh, in this land pray minimally every day. And people in professional work, in prayer, pray on the average, I'm beating up my profession, pray on the average three and a half minutes a day. And those are the, those are the all-stars. So you can just go down from there. So if we confidently prayed, what would happen? So our regular prayers are the people that we have a sphere of influence in their lives. Some of us have a very small sphere of influence, and some of us a rather large sphere of influence. And we don't have to pray always specific prayers for every single person, but general prayers also work. The Lord's Prayer, that is the prayer of Jesus, is a general prayer. I remember my mother praying that it wouldn't rain uh, for an event, and my dad said, how did you pray? And she said, I just prayed it wouldn't rain. And he said, I'm sure it didn't rain somewhere. And I used to use that as an example. We need to pray specifically. I think it's good to pray specifically, but I don't think God, I don't think God is like that anymore. Where he says, sorry, you didn't pray exactly. When you said healer, you didn't say my daughter. And so I didn't know who, I healed someone. That's, that's kind of a mother may, mother may I and uh, Simon Says kind of life of prayer. Uh, and it's kind of mad, like magic. You got to say, open sesame before the door opens. Prayer is a relationship, and he knows what you need before you pray. So your sphere of influence is like an umbrella. You put up your umbrella in your prayer time. And this, you could take five to ten minutes every day to put up your umbrella and say, God, I'm praying for my marriage, and this is what I ask. I'm praying for my kids, this is what I ask. For Billy, for John, for Paul, for George and Ringo. Wait, <laughs> this, is what, this is what I'm asking. And, and then if you have a staff that you're responsible for, Pray in general for your staff, you know, for the fingerprints of Jesus to be moving. And in in Jesus' name, four things I pray for every day, and I learned it from Jesus. God's will in those people's lives, for God's provision, for God's forgiveness, 
in God's protection. Sound familiar? They will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, provision. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned. That's forgiveness. Protection. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Does God answer the prayer or not? If he does, then wow. Folks, this thing is loaded. And we could change the world. The other kind of prayer is uh, more extemporaneous, spontaneous. Oh my gosh, someone's in the hospital. Oh my gosh, they just lost their job. Oh my gosh, what do we do? It's more of an ER prayer where we pray, oh God, if you were God, this is a good time to be God. That's, you know, the oh God prayer. It's okay. And how wonderful to come to God with the people that you love. Well, there's a lot more we could say about that, but I'm going to move on, moms, because you have a Mother's Day to celebrate. We come to a very difficult cluster of verses where prayer is now qualified because of sin. In verse 16 through 18, we read, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. Now already, I'm thinking, I don't know what's going on here. Uh, I wasn't a part of this conversation. Have you ever listened to a friend that was on the phone and they say, oh, oh no. And you're like, what, what, what happened? Oh, no. And you're like, what, 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 what? And, and you just don't know because you're hearing one side of the conversation, right? We're hearing one side of the conversation. Let's be honest. We don't know what John is referring to yet. If you see a brother or sister commit a sin, you should pray, and God will give them life. So he's clearly saying that sin takes away life from us. John, uh, Paul's... I get them all mixed up, Peter, Paul, and Mary this time. <laughs> that we should pray. Is that your go-to? You see a brother or sister in sin. What do you do? Usually the two go-tees, twos, go-tees. <laughs> the go-tos are judge and gossip. <gasps> I'm judging them, and I, I, I know something now about them. I, I got to do something with what I know. Let's, let's do the churchy sin and go gossip. I like how John tells us to deal with something. Pray. There was a song back somewhere that said, you, you may talk about me, uh, all that you please, I'll talk about you on my knees. It's a good change to stop this vibration. And in, 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 in this world, there's, there's more than gossipy vibration. There's social media vibration. I can't believe how people talk to each other on social media. I just, ah! Get off, get off, get off. Uh, people are angry. They're just, they yell at each other. They just, uh, there's, there's not a conversation going on. And uh, it, 
it's an extrapolation of oftentimes how we've, we've been as humans. You see a brother or sister in need, in prayer, in, excuse me, in sin, pray for them. Just talk to God about it. And the implication, it's the best way to love us. And it's the best way to change something that's wrong. Go ahead and pray. Then he goes on to say, I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. Very strange language for us. Then he makes the statement that's so curious. There is a sin that leads to death. Now, all of us want to know what that sin is. <laughs> you know, if you're walking down a trail and you say, by the way, there is a spot on the trail that has a hidden mine and you'll die. It'll just blow you up. You want to know where that spot is, right? So that's where we are in this story. And he says, I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that not, does not lead to death. So many people, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's, it's Mother's Day. And this is kind of a dark passage, right? But the tradition here is we don't hide from the difficult passages. We just pull our four-wheel drive right up to the creek, and we drive through the mud to the other side. And so uh, there's three ways to think about this passage, and there's been uh, various scholars that have wrestled with the language here and, and other passages to see if we can get some sense of it. One is to say, uh, John is talking about people that are headstrong in their sin, they're refusing to turn away from their sin, and so John is just saying, don't pray a blessing on them. Let reality therapy take place. There, something is going to happen that breaks and goes wrong, and they're going to turn around. So don't be praying blessing on them. That could be what he's talking about. Uh, another thing is, is that he's just talking about um, what the Catholic Church came to call mortal and venial sin. Uh, mortal sin, I, and not being raised Catholic, um, my understanding is that, that it's just uh, certain sins that we would say, like, like murder or adultery or pillaging villages or whatever, that you just say, sorry, you crossed the line. And that's scary to think, whoa, because it would probably include some people, some of us in this room. And we have stories of grace in the Bible, uh, both Old and New Testament, where God's forgiveness is so profound and rich that to call something such a sin that is unforgivable. And so where I finally come out is the idea that this is probably referring to apostasy. Uh, John has talked about these false teachers who used to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and now are teaching that he's not the Son of God, used to believe that through the cross, the forgiveness of sins was the entrance to relationship. Now they're talking about that it is not the re entrance to relationship with God. And John, John could be saying that they have crossed the line. 
that they have actually rejected their faith and uh, are not followers with Christ anymore. But even here, I have to tell you that I have seen people who have wrestled in doubt about their faith. And maybe they said things over coffee to a friend. I don't believe in this or this or this. Um, But I wouldn't call them apostate that are actually evangelists against Jesus, the antichrist that John has referred to earlier in chapter two. So that's where I would come out. Let me give you some scriptures that would parallel this. It's called, theologians call this out of their bag of tricks, the analogy of scripture, where you look at other scriptures to see if there's any analog or parallel passage. Matthew 12, 31, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven. This is where the spirit is working in your life, working in your life, and finally you just reject God and say, no, uh, just stay out of my life forever. Romans 1.28, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he, in other words, they've stopped believing, so he gave them over to a depraved mind. Hebrews 6.4, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. It is impossible, meaning it's possible in this life to cross a line where it's impossible, not because God's not big or strong or loving, but I am so headstrong in my ways now that I've crossed a line and it's impossible to get me to come back and believe again. It's called the sin of apostasy. And, and that's where I would think that this is probable what John, probably what John is referring to. Now let me say this about that. Um, because this is a passage that I would wrestle with If you chose a different interpretation of this, I would say, great, love you. It's it's a minor, it's not a major. Um, All the major doctrines of our faith are not this. And the other ones in scripture are very, very clear. Uh, We're big people, we're adults. We read this, we wrestle with it, and we do our best research and study, but at the end of the day, we are not gonna be divisive over this. I say that because I think it's a model of what we should do with all minor issues. And, and there are. And if we took that tack, wouldn't the church be more united? If we just said, yeah, um, you have a difference of opinion, and now let's, let's be best buds. Let's hang, let's, let's be in fellowship together. By the way, uh, I'm going to the desert this uh, first two days of the week to be with 20 other pastors and their wives to help them have stronger marriages in the ministry. And, and I'm not gonna ask them their opinion on this verse. <laughs> but come on, this is Mother's Day. <laughs> We're not gonna stay here, but 
I do see the, the kind of mama bear of John here. He's, he's upset that these false teachers have come awake and, and kind of stealing the kids' hearts and their confidence. And, and you kind of get the sense of the mama bear. Moms, you know what I'm talking about? Nobody messes with your kids. Are you with me? And that's kind of the, the tone of John's writing here. So finally, we come to the final verses in 19 through 21. And 19 and 20 are kind of a, an overall summary statement of things that he said in this book. We know that we are children of God. We know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Jesus said this as well. That's why the world is broken. It's got the fingerprints of the devil in it. But we also know that the Son of God has come. That's the redemption story. He's come to forgive us and to start putting things right and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And here's another thing we know. We are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true God and eternal life. And this is a big statement about Christology here. It's a very blatant statement on John's part, who was a disciple of Jesus, referring to Jesus in the context, he is the true God and he is eternal life. Wow. Confidence. We got confidence again. Then he ends with a very curious statement. It's a funny ending. Dear children, keep your, yourselves from idols. Love you. <laughs> Have a nice day. Happy Mother's Day. But I think what John is saying is stay free, kids. So you are now, this is who you are. You're confident. You know what Christ has done. You know what, uh, who he is. And now you know who you are in Christ. And you can pray. Stay free. Don't lose your freedom. He wants you to know that the temptations that are out there in life have tentacles. I think I'm free to just do whatever I want. Yes, you are, sweetie, but there's tentacles in some of those things that could take your freedom away from you. Am I free? You're free. So I'm free to rob a bank. There's consequences. There's tentacles to that one. Am I free? I'm free to date or fall in love with anybody I want. Yes, you are. But there are consequences for choosing a weird person. Am I free? I don't have to go to church, study the Bible, pray. Yes, you are free. But there are consequences. You see, that's the way life is. Jan and I have been enjoying a, a video series uh, that one of our grandchildren is in a stage that she likes to watch, and it's uh, Peter Rabbit. So when we babysit, uh, before bedtime, there's this little Peter Rabbit thing that she gets to watch. And um, often Peter Rabbit likes to go into whose garden? Mr. McGregor's garden. 
So who warns him not to go in the garden? His mother. Whatever you do, don't go into Peter McGregor's garden. Now, is she restrictive? Is she just this overbearing, mean mom? Wow, she doesn't like me to eat carrots. No, she just wants him to stay alive. This crazy farmer that's carrying a hoe in his hand just chopped the little bunny's head off, you know, and have Hassenpfeffer that night. So she warns him, stay out of the garden. So Peter Rabbit goes over to the other, he says, yes, mom. And then he goes over to the other bunnies and says, whatever. <laughs> you know, we're going into the garden because we're free now and I can do whatever I want. But there's always consequences, aren't there? There's consequences. And so John says, keep yourself from idols. Now, I don't think that John's readers were just kind of tempted to, if they were walking down the streets of Ephesus and they saw a little idol, they just saw it and kind of like, whoa, kind of tempted right now. <laughs> I, they had discovered the real God. Any more than when you walk by someone's garden that has a little chubby Buddha in their garden, you walk by and you think, whoa, <laughs> tempting, <laughs> tempting. No, idols are things that become our ultimate concern in life. We, we worship them by the inordinate attention we give it. And these things, as we've talked about many times, these ultimate concerns be can become our profession. It can become our position. It can become people in our lives. It can become anything. Uh, let me give you some other verses. This is the analogy of Scripture again. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, flee from idolatry, my dear friends. Very similar to John. And in Colossians 3, 5, he says, put to death, which means just stop it. Uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, meaning your sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, those are three sexual deviancies, you might say. Immorality, impurity is sexual impurity, just, just kind of a big umbrella term, and then lust. Then he jumps to other desires, such as e just evil desires, such as greed. And then he summarizes and says, which is idolatry? It's the idolatry that we often don't think about in our society. We are an idolatrous people. We are surrounded by things that are saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And the temptation is to let our freedom be lost into something that now is taking over me. Jan and I, when we were first married, my parents gifted us with a trip for three months after we were married, kind of like a honeymoon, uh, to Israel. And, uh, and it capped off with a little trip through Rome. And we're walking through Rome, 21 years old, and. You know, we haven't been around the world or anything, and, and uh, 
we're in this store and, and we see a cute little, uh, what I would call kind of like a bobblehead doll. It was, a, it was dressed like a, a Russian, uh, old-fashioned dressed girl about this high and, and uh, she would kind of move her arms and move her head and we said, oh, how cute. And we touched the arm and the whole thing fell apart, <laughs> collapsed to the floor and shattered. And someone quickly rushed over speaking Italian saying, you now own it. We thought, wow, wow, we felt so free to touch this thing, <laughs> and now it's become way too consuming. So we picked up all the pieces, uh, paid whatever it was, $50 for this porcelain uh, Russian bobblehead girl <laughs> that we probably would have never picked out. And we got home and my wife repaired it, and now it's in a bookcase that's glassed off and sealed so our grandkids can't. <laughs> but if any of you would come over to our house, I would say, oh, yes, isn't it cute? And then you would say, oh, it's so pretty, it's so cute. I said, don't touch it. <laughs> There's consequences. You cannot, you can look, but you cannot touch. And many things in life are that way. You can look, keep your freedom, but don't touch because they have tentacles to take over your life. Well, funny message for Mother's Day, huh? <laughs> but the final message here is stay free. What's the slogan on New Hampshire, New Hampshire, New Hampshire license plates? Live free or die. Yeah. Don't mess with me, baby. I've got a truck, I've got a gun, and I've got a dog. Live free or die, you know. That's kind of the motto. But that would be the Bible's, come on, you guys. Christ has set you free. Stay out of Mr. McGregor's garden. Amen? Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, thank you that you love us. Thank you for the invitation to become people of prayer, confident people. We pray that you would uh, fill us with the boldness before you to pray the prayers that you're waiting to hear, that you've given us the privilege to co-sign your checks. You already want it. It's already your will. And that we would be people who ask in, in Jesus' name. God, we pray that your blessing would be upon the women here today, that this would be a, a fabulous day, a rich day of celebration. And we thank you, God, for exhibiting not only the fatherhood of God, but exhibiting the mother's heart to us. Jesus, as you said, all like a mother hen, how many times have I wanted to gather you under my wings? We've learned from you the mother's heart as well. Lord, bless these mothers today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, 
give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.